that song makes me want to go for a stroll. Um, I, I want you to know up front this morning where I'm hoping we're going to end up in the next few minutes. And, and just very clearly, I want you to understand what my hope is. And here's my hope. I'm hoping that today, by the time we finish, that you might be to the point. I'm not going to pressure you. I promise you. But my hope is that you will come to the conclusion by the end of this, if you don't already have, that you will say, I am ready for an authentic faith. That's my hope today. You know, that word can be confusing, this word faith, because it's, it's, it's so nebulous. It's hard to understand. It's, hard to, it's, it's more of a concept. It's not something we can take hold of, like a chair or a stool. Faith. But yet it's required somehow as we look in the Old Covenant and especially in the New Covenant, it is required for this thing called salvation. So we have to understand this word faith if it's required. And it's so important because the New Covenant, that's what was written after Jesus came to this earth, the New Covenant. The New Covenant tells us that there are several kinds of faith but only one is authentic, and all the other kinds of faith are not authentic. They are worthless. And my fear was always, well, what if I ended up with one of those? What if I invested my whole life, and I thought I had faith, but what I ended up with was absolutely worthless? And so week number one, we gave you the first key. Dustin's going to put it on the screen for us. The first key to understanding faith is to get to this point where we can say this. This is what authentic faith says, the first key, that God does have a plan for me, and it's a plan that I don't deserve, and it's a plan that I cannot earn from him. And that plan totally depends upon him and not me. And it is a plan of grace. That's the first key to authentic faith. But then we might begin to say, well, can't, can't we just agree? Because it seems like that's what the Bible says. Just believe this, agree with this, that Jesus came and he died and he rose again. Yeah, and that he, he wants our, our lives. We can maybe just agree. Can we just agree, Harley, that that? Is it? And we, if we agree with that statement, then isn't that authentic faith? If I just mentally agree and say, yes, those things are true. Is there more than just agreeing with that? Is the question. And the answer to that is yes, there is more. Because James, the brother of Jesus, describes a type of faith. We'll call it, for lack of a better phrase, we'll call it a demonic faith faith, a demonic kind of faith that just simply agrees that Jesus existed, he's God's son, he died, he even rose again. And I agree with that. And James describes that in the letter that he wrote. And it's kind of a demonic, because that's what the demons believe. They do believe that. But yet there is not a demon who has authentic faith. A demon you will not find in heaven. So what if I end up with that kind of faith? That's kind of scary. A faith that just simply says, yes, I agree with all that. So that's where we talked about last week, key number two. To help us discover this authentic faith, it, authentic faith is something that is going to cause something else to happen. It is not just mental agreement. Authentic faith causes us to take a step. 
And that step is not our faith. And that step does not give us our faith. The step is proof that we have faith. And it's not going to be just one step, not one step. If we have an authentic faith, we are going to take step after step after step. We're going to take multiple steps our entire life. And those steps do not save us. Absolutely not. They cannot save us. It's impossible. The steps are just merely proof that there is an authentic faith deep inside of someone that exists. Authentic. We keep taking steps. Now, if, this is so important, if we stop taking steps, if we stop taking steps, this was what was so scary for me, then that would be a short-lived faith. I've stopped. If I stop, and I don't return. I don't go back. Yes, we're all going to fall. We're all going to fall. Yes, it happens. I'm going to fall. I fall every single day. But if I stop and I don't return, I don't continue following, I don't get up with his help and keep following him, if I stop, Jesus describes that himself as a temporary faith. And he calls that worthless, it's useless, it's of no use at all, it's no good. It is not an authentic faith. And that is described by Jesus. And I thought to myself, what if I end up with that? What if I end up with that kind of faith? Because we must have an authentic faith. That's what's required in this. Not a mental agreement, an authentic faith. Now, we've been talking about someone who had an authentic faith, even in the Old Covenant, before Jesus was even on the scene um, on the earth in this human form. And this guy's name was Abraham, but I, I kind of want to catch us up in this process, so Dustin's going to help. So God, we determined, created the world. So here we have God. There's the power on button. He hits power on. He created it from nothing. Before God created the earth, though, he knew that what was going to happen, how it was going to go wrong, how it was going to just go, go badly, horribly wrong. He knew that, but he created anyway. So the pinnacle of his creation was what's next. It's this guy named Adam and also Eve. So we're going to have Adam. There's Adam. He already knew Adam was going to blow it, and sure enough, Adam blew it, but he created Adam anyway. So we're going to give the big X there. Adam is, it's not like uh, Family Feud where you get three, we get one. It was over. It was done. At that moment, creation broke. It broke that moment. Uh, and for the next nine generations, things got really bad. Really, 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 really bad. We think things are bad today. It was so much worse. Nine generations, we come to a guy named Noah, and that's here, here comes Noah, there he is. Noah, and God said, okay, this isn't the time, the point at which I want to now start over. Here's my plan, and he starts over, starts fresh with Noah. About ten generations after Noah comes this guy named Abraham, and there's Abraham on the screen. And Abraham, he, we're going to talk about that, he gives, God gives some very specific promises to, but this is the moment that he says, okay, I am now going to put us on this plan of me bringing 
the fix to everything that's broken. And that plan was Jesus, and here comes on the screen, we got Jesus, that doorway is he's going to open that door wide for things to get repaired, that everything that we broke, Adam, if it wasn't for him, we would have too. Some, one of us would have blown it. And there we go. We're, it's, and Jesus is the fix. So there's a lot of names between Abraham and Jesus, but we're at this point in history with Abraham. And that's where we're picking up with this story. And that's what we've been talking about, we're going to talk about today. God told Abraham to go. I want you to go start a new life with these certain people. Go there, leave your family, go do that. And Abraham did. And God promised Abraham some very specific things. Actually made a covenant with him where God said, I'm responsible for this, not you, Abraham. I want to let you know what I'm going to do. And he told Abraham, I'm going to make you one, the father of many nations. I'm also going to give your nation a very specific real estate in the world that I have prepared just for you. And so here you go. That's going to be for your future, for your nation, for you. And then I'm going to, from your son Isaac, I'm going to give you this nation. It's going to be children, descendants of Isaac. That's where it's going to come from. And here was the problem. Abraham was about 90-ish, 100 years old in there, and he had no children. Ah, that is a problem. So somehow he at 100 and his wife at about 90, they got to have babies. How do you feel about that? <laughs> well, that's where they were. And, but God miraculously made all that happen. And now we're about 30-ish. We don't know exactly, but many scholars believe about 30 years after Isaac is born is when we pick up this story now where we are in this point of history. So we have Abraham, who's somewhere around 130 years old, and that's pretty old, by the way. <laughs> and we've got Isaac, who's not a baby, not a toddler, not a, not a, probably not even a teenager, more like he's pushing around the age of 30 years old. We're not sure, but many scholars believe that's about the case. But at least a young adult. And now... God tells Abraham this in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. So here we go. Here's the test. Is this authentic or not? He tests his faith. Abraham, God replied. Yes, he replied, here I am. Pause for just a moment. Now, God communicates many things to us, and he does it in different ways. All right? But God has this very special thing for us. We call it the Bible, but it's really not the Bible. It's really a collection. It's not one book, Old Testament. It's not one book. It's many books, many, many books that were written over the course of 40 years, I mean, of thousands of years by over 40 different writers, but it's all authored by God. And it tells us the story of how God is going to fix the creation that we broke when we chose to sin, when Adam chose to sin, and then that was planted in our lives, and we do the same thing. Now, one of those ways that he communicates with us is through models, all right? We're going to talk about some models next week. We're going to talk about a model today, an example, a model. He says, I and my kingdom is kind of like this. It's a model. 
And here we have in this life, in this season of Abraham and Isaac's life, we have a model that God says, this is what I'm like and this is what's coming. You can, if you understand a little bit of this, you're going to understand what's coming. And so he uses Abraham and Isaac as a model. He uses their actual real life experience as a model of something that's coming later. That's what he's doing. And today, you're going to see one of the most important models that God gives us using the life of Abraham and Isaac. And here's what God tells Abraham. So we resume play. Verse 2. He says, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. Now let's hit pause right here for a moment. Whom you love so much. This is the very first place in the Old Covenant. New Covenant had not been written yet. In the Old Covenant where the word love is used. The very first place. And it's interesting in, in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Anywhere you run into a significant word that is used for the first time, you should, in your Bible or in your mind or on that brown envelope where you can take some notes right on that if you need to, put some asterisks, maybe one, two, three, four, five, six asterisks, saying this is so important. The first place in the scriptures where God chose to insert the word love. You should put as many asterisks as you can and then I want you to write down the phrase, John 3.16. What's on your shirt? John 3.16, write down that phrase and put all those asterisks right there. Because here's what I'm telling you. When you run into a word that is used for the first time, then you should know something important is going to happen here. Something significant is landing right here in the scriptures designed by God. And it's so important that there's a foundation that is being laid that is going to be very important for later. The first time ever in the scripture, the word love is used. And then you go look at John 3.16. And how that word love is used. And then I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 22 verse 2. And I want you to understand how they are seamless. That's your homework. Let's keep going. Take your son, your only son, yes Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah. Now, we might be, if you've been around church world at all, you, you might be familiar with this term, Mount Moriah. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about a mountain range, the land, the breadth of this area called Moriah. Not one specific mountain, but a range. This seems so round, random. God saying, Abraham, go, go to the land of Moriah. So often we don't understand why God might ask us to do something that he's asked us to do or has for us. We don't understand because so often to us it just seems so random. But I want you to know this. God has a purpose. 
no matter how far you feel from God, I want you to know He has a purpose. No matter how close you feel to God, I want you to know you're not anywhere near His purpose. He's got so much more planned. And I'm not talking about wealth. I may be talking about suffering, but not wealth. He's got a purpose. And here God has asked him something completely random. Go to the land of Moriah. It's almost as if right now God is saying to Abraham, Abraham, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? I've got a purpose and a plan behind it. You don't know what it is. I just want to know, do you trust me? And then he tells him what it is. Here's what he says. Go and sacrifice him who? Your son whom you love. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will show you. Verse 3, the next morning Abraham got up early. Hit pause. Abraham had learned so far in his life. From my experiences in the past, when God tells me something, I need to go ahead and respond to it and do it. And I'm going to save myself a whole lot of do what ache. Even if I don't understand why, I'm going to save myself a whole lot of trouble if I go ahead and just do what he's asked me to do. And so God said, go offer your son. And the next morning he was up and he had his Wheaties. He drank his coffee and he was gone. He took off. He didn't hesitate. He was on his way. He had learned. See, God had promised him. And it was God's promise alone. What was the promise? Part of it was you will have an entire nation full of descendants, more than your eyes can ever count. And it's all going to come through the seed, the bloodline, specifically of Isaac. God had promised that. It was up to God to make that happen, not up to Isaac. So there's a problem, yes, if God says Isaac's going to die, there's a problem, but it's not my problem, it's God's problem. And I may not understand how he's going to work it out, but I know God's going to work it out. Because if he wants a, a Isaac sacrificed, then he must, has to, have a plan to bring Isaac back. Because Isaac is not yet married, and Isaac has no children. Therefore, if this nation is going to come from Isaac, then Isaac has to be around, and there has to be children. So God has a plan. I don't understand it. I don't know what it is. But if he says that Isaac's going to die, then he's going to die. But God's going to bring him back. I know it's going to happen. I don't know how. It's crazy talk. I know. But that's what I'm believing. So I've learned my lesson. That's faith. We do need to understand it's not blind faith. Because God has given Abraham some clues all along the way. Yes, I am who I say I am. See? And, he, and through, as he was living life, it was, he was, God was proving it as they were going. Yes, you can trust me. See? I said this. See? It happened. See? You can trust me. Just as I said, you can trust me. I am who I say I am. I'm going to do what I say I'll do. And he got to the point where he said, you know what, God? You're right. I can trust you. He learned to trust God even when it didn't make since he learned to trust God in his plan. So here's what he did. Scripture goes on. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped the wood for a fire, for a burnt offering, and he set out for the place that God had told him about. He didn't know where it was. He knew the area. He didn't know the exact spot. 
Verse 4, on the third day of their journey, Abraham looked and he saw the place in the distance. So God had, between verse 3 and verse 4, said, there's the spot. That's where you're going. So on the third day of their journey, Abraham looked and he saw the place in the distance. The exact place. The spot. And here's what happened in verse 5. He said, stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there. And then we're going to come right back. And I don't think he was just blowing smoke. I think he really believed we're coming back. I don't know how it's going to happen. You don't know what's going to go on. Isaac doesn't really know what's going to go on yet. But we are going to be coming back. He believed it. Because God promised him Isaac was going to have children. I don't have a problem. I don't know how you're going to work it out. I know, I know it's a problem to me, God. It's not a problem to you. You'll work it out. You always keep your promises. I know that. And here's this huge faith. I believe that God finds a different way every single day to ask you and to ask me to say, do you trust me? Harley, do you really trust me? I'm going to ask you to prove it, Harley, right now. Do you trust me? I know you don't understand how this is going to work out and how it's going to all end and how it's going to happen, and it may hurt. I know you don't understand, but do you trust me that this is my plan? Do you trust me? And here's what is going on. He goes on. Verse 6, so Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. So Isaac carries the wood. The very thing on which he is going to die, he now carries it on his shoulders. Isaac the son. And it says, while he himself, Abraham, carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked together, verse 7, Isaac turned to Abraham. He's like, Dad, Dad, Father, I want you to understand, scholars believe Isaac could be around 30 years old. We don't know. He's at least a young adult. He's not a boy. He's not a child. So he's a young man, strong, and probably pretty fast, a lot faster than a 130-year-old man. And it's safe to say, as this young man, Isaac, at this moment when he's asking this question, doesn't really know the full plan yet. But I want you to know he's still a willing participant. Abraham says, yes, my son, Abraham replied. Isaac says, well, uh, we have the fire. You got it. I, we, we got the wood for the altar. I've got it. But where's the sheep for the burnt offering? See, at this point, he didn't know. He's going to be the offering. He didn't know. And here's what Abraham said in verse 8. God will provide a Sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. Now I want to pause here for a moment. The literal word-for-word word translation of what Abraham says there written in Hebrew, the word-for-word word translation, uh, Dustin's going to put it on the screen. It says this, God will provide himself the lamb. Now I want you to know in the old covenant in Hebrew, they did not use punctuation. They didn't use punctuation. They didn't use you know, periods and commas and things like that. We do. They, they did not use punctuation. But I want you to look at just the power of, of what happens to that statement when you place a comma in it. 
And we know this story, and if you don't yet, you're going to know it by the time I'm through, the significance of this statement. Look at where that comma is. You take the comma out, God's going to provide uh, himself the lamb. God's going to do it. He's going to provide this lamb. But when you place that comma right there, now there was no comma in the Hebrew. I want you to know that. But if we place a comma right here, listen to what that statement says. God will provide himself. God needs a sacrifice, is what this statement says with that comma place there. God needs a sacrifice, and God says, hey, I'll sacrifice, I'll be it. God will provide himself, comma, the lamb. God will provide himself, who is the lamb. Isaac says, all right, I, I, we got the wood and we got the fire. I don't see the sheep, Dad. Don't worry, son. God will provide himself the lamb. And they both walked on together, Scripture says, in verse 9. They arrived at the place where God had told him to go. The place, God says, stop here. This is it. Stop. This is it. So here's the question, where is that? Where is the place? We're coming to that. Hang on. We'll come back. Abraham there at the place, the scripture goes on. It says, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. At this point, now, Isaac knows the rest of the story. Then he tied his son Isaac. And I want you to understand, at this moment, while he's being tied... Isaac is now aware of what's happening, and Isaac is participating willingly. His dad did not trick him. His dad did not pull the Jedi mind trick on him. Isaac is willing. He says, oh, okay, I got gotcha. you. This is going to be interesting. And he is a willing participant at this moment. He knows what's going on. A 130-year-old man is tying and binding the hands without force of this young adult man. He was willing. He tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Verse 10. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. So he's about to thrust. It's going to take everything he can to thrust that knife with a death blow. And at that moment, verse 11, at that moment, an angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, he replied, here I am. Where's here? Right where you told me to be. I am here. I am exactly where you told me to be and doing exactly what you told me to do. Here I am. The spot where you wanted me to go. So where are they? Where are they? We, we don't know. They didn't you know, put up a little brown sign that said, here's the spot. Well, we do know that it is in the land of Moriah. Now let us tell you what we do know about this land of Moriah, and we're going to make some deductions. So um, 
here's what we know. Give us that first picture. It's going to be up here on the screen. Here is the land of Moriah. This is a topographical map. And I'm going to talk about some elements on this map. I can't really point to it like a weatherman because I don't have that kind of skill. So as I talk about some things, I'm going to ask Dustin to put some things on the screen to show you where I'm talking about. So here's a map of the land of Moriah. The first place I want to show you, it, Moriah is a range of mountains, and on each side is a valley. Here's the first valley I want to show you. Dustin put that on the screen. It's the Kidron Valley, and it is on the east side of the mountain. That's a valley, so that, that red line is not the mountain. It's in a valley, all right? That's the valley. And on, uh, if you go further east off the map, then you would see the Mount of Olives is what's there, still there today. Kidron Valley. The Kidron Valley is on the east side there of the mountain range called this land of Moriah. All right? Then I want you to now see uh, an outline because one day this whole area would become the city of Jerusalem. That's way off in the future. So, Dustin, give us the next picture here. And we have, see that now, the, the Kidron Valley is now, I've got a, a lighter shade, and I have a dark red there. That's the one-day future city walls of uh, Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, okay? So this gives you an idea, all right? Now, that's going to go uh, light here in just a moment because I want you to see the other valley and this is the Teropian Valley, and it's on the left. So give us that picture. There's the Teropian Valley. It cuts kind of right through the, the future city of Jerusalem. But so we have a mountain range there on our left. We've got a, I mean, I'm sorry, we have a valley on our left. We have a valley on the right. And this in between is the mountain range. And it just keeps going up towards a peak from the valley kind of where they come together, it just keeps going up. Now, where those two lines come together, if you would bring them to, I don't have this on the screen, but if you followed those two lines and where the uh, Teropian uh, Valley is, if you kind of drew a line over towards the Kidron Valley, where they come together was a town that was around when Abraham was doing, when God was doing all this with Abraham. The name of that town was Salem. All right, so we have a picture here that's going to show Salem. That area there between those two valleys and where they kind of come together where it's narrow, that is where the town of Salem, a small city of Salem was. And God said, I want you to go to the land of Moriah. All right, so that's where he went. He went to Salem, that spot right there. But that spot is not where... The he was not going to do this sacrifice in the middle of town. He was going to go to the outside of town. So that's where the mountain range begins. And he's going to now begin walking his way up the mountain. So right at the edge there at the top of where I have that, that section drawn for where Salem is, at the very top of that, there's a little flat spot right there. Um, give us that next picture, Dustin. That flat spot right there, that is one day going to be a threshing floor that David, King David, one day in the future will purchase that. And on that spot, King David is going to have built the temple 
of God, that where the, the Israelites will go worship one day. That's the main temple right there. It's where it will be. I don't believe that right there on the edge of town is where, um, is where Abraham sacrificed Isaac. I, I don't think it happened right there by town. I think he continued going up the mountain, at least from my studies and what I've been told by other experts, it's very possible that Abraham kept going up that mountain range to another location. And I want you to remember that Abraham is a model. He is an example of something that's coming in the future. Abraham and Isaac together, not through their whole lives, but through this part of their life, through this part of their story, God is saying, I'm using you as an example of something that's coming later. And here's why I think on this range of mountains called Moriah, he probably goes a little bit further. He goes on up towards the peak, that mountain range. You see it climbing up there. If you continue going above where I just uh, had Dustin circle there, if you keep going up, at the peak of that mountain range is one very specific spot. Go ahead and give us that next picture. Uh, there, that spot right there. That is a very specific spot. Notice it's on the outside of the future Jerusalem. And that spot would one day be called, it's not called that yet here for Abraham, but the spot's still there, and that spot will come to be known as Golgotha. And just in case that doesn't ring a bell, 2,000 years after Abraham is potentially right there on that spot, offering his son that he loves as a sacrifice, 2,000 years later, on that very spot, another father would offer his only son, the son that he loved so dearly, and offer him as a sacrifice for the entire world. God the Father, on that spot right there, history tells us that's the spot where Jesus willingly died on the cross. And here we have Abraham that God is using as an example in this season of his life of something that is to come and saying, it's a picture of what's coming. And 2,000 years later, it happened. Don't miss the significance of this. God is using Abraham's life and Isaac's life at this very moment as a model of what God is going to do one day in the future through the bloodline of Abraham, through the bloodline of Isaac. God the Father would send his only son, Jesus, to die as a sacrifice for the sins of the world, where God would truly provide himself as the lamb, as the sacrifice. And God himself would die for the sins of the world. You see, my friends, Scripture is not one book called the Bible. 
Scripture is actually 66 books and letters that have been penned by over 40 different men over the course of of thousands of years. But they have one author, God himself, who tells a seamless story of his creation and how he was going to redeem it, to buy it back, to fix it, to fix everything that we broke. And Abraham with the dagger raised in his hand, he's getting ready to plunge it all the way into the life of his child. Verse 12, don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Don't hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and he saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram, that ram, and God did provide in that moment as well, and sacrificed that as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Verse 14, and Abraham named that place Yahweh Yireh, which means literally the Lord will provide. And we know 2,000 years later, God would give his all, all by himself. He would give his everything. He would give us his absolutely, uh, his best as he died on the cross so that we could bring him our absolute worst and the junk and the mess and the brokenness of our lives. He wants our good parts. He wants our bad parts, our ugly parts. He wants the beautiful parts of our lives. He wants the ugly parts of our lives. In fact, he demands it. He demands it all. He demands all of us. And I do believe that it is true that every day God is finding a way to say to you and to say to me, do you trust me? And here's what we're saying today. Authentic faith is this. It all begins right here. Authentic faith is proved by this first big step. It's proved by this first big step of surrendering my life to the ownership of Jesus. That step in my life says, I trust you, God, that you came as Jesus to die. Not just for the sins of the world, Jesus. You came to die for me and my sins, every single one. Jesus, you died for me. Jesus, you provided yourself the Lamb of God for me. It was a payment. It was a payment. So if it was a payment, Jesus, you bought something. You purchased something. And if I'm willing, then I can, through authentic faith, I can declare to Jesus... You bought me. Jesus, you bought my life and you bought all of it. Not just Sunday mornings. You bought all of my life and you bought my good parts and you bought my bad parts. You bought it all because right now I declare that you purchased my life. That Jesus, I have been purchased, bought by you. And in that step of faith, in that step of authentic faith, of trust, it's saying, I may not understand all your plans that you have in my life, Jesus. I don't. But I trust you and your plan. So I declare that I am yours today. 
And I declare, I'm going to keep stepping and following you. I am yours tomorrow, and I am yours for the rest of my life. James, the brother of Jesus, describes Abraham like this. In James 2, 23, he said, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called, James says, the friend of God. God made Abraham his friend. And the new covenant tells us that he wants to make you God's friend as well. He wants you to be his friend of, as well. Not because of something you have done, but because of something he did on the cross. He can make you an enemy. He can make you his friend. And this is your first big and your most significant step that you can take to get this all started. And it takes a step of faith. Authentic faith where we declare to God for the first time, if you have not already, where we declare, and if this is what your heart is saying, then I want you in your heart right now to declare this to God. If this is what your heart is saying, I declare to you, God, that I'm with you. That you bought me, God, with the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus. You purchased me, and I declare right now, Jesus, God, I am yours. All of me. And my friends, if that decision is authentic, I tell you this now, it will impact the rest of your life. Are you ready? I told you where we were going today, and we're here. If that is you, if your heart is racing, and God is saying, now is the time, today is the day, because I promise you, if he's not calling you, you can't come. Is he calling you? Is his spirit drawing you in right now? If that's you, that I want you to mark your connection card. Please mark your connection card that says, for the first time, I'm making Christ the boss of my life. Whether you're using the online version on your phone or whether you're using the paper version, mark that on the back saying, I am declaring right now that Jesus is the boss of my life. I was the boss. Now he's the boss. He purchased me with his blood. Jesus, you came here and died for me. Three days later, Jesus, you walked out of the tomb again alive. And it is your death and your blood that has purchased me from the sin in my life. I couldn't do it. You had to do it for me. So I declare, I am yours. All of me for the rest of my life into eternity. And my friends, into eternity? Eternity. That's what we're talking about next week. Let's pray. God, your word tells us that our friendship with God was restored by the death of your son. And it was restored in the middle of us sinning while we were still sinning. 
while we were still selfish and choosing ourselves and living our lives our own way, you went ahead and you died for us knowing we were going to be living our own way and sinning and choosing ourselves over you. But your word tells us that was the old us if we submitted our lives to you. And now we can rejoice in this wonderful new relationship that we have with God. All because of our Lord Jesus Christ who made us friends with God. Jesus, you bought us. You redeemed us. And I say thank you. Amen. Thank you.